It's time for the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And tonight we're going to talk about the ninth episode of HBO's Westworld. This one is called The Well-Tempered Clavier. What does that mean? It is a reference to several pieces of music that Bach wrote. I'll try to insert a little clip here. Now, see what that sounds like? Yes. Isn't that familiar? Anyway, I think that it plays into the themes of the show in a couple ways. One, they've been showing us that player piano in every episode this season. Except this one. And in this episode, Ford uses a piano metaphor. Yes. Piano doesn't kill the player or doesn't murder the player when it doesn't like the music. So there's that tie in that, that reference. And then when I was researching it, I found deep down in in the uh, listing that Bach, for some unknown reason, drew a series of loops around the title area of the first page of what they called book one, because there were two books. Bach caused his own little, I don't know what, it's almost like a lost or Westworld style theory hunting conspiracy with just drawing some loops on the page because over the last 300 years, mathematicians and music people have been trying to interpret what could he have meant by these loops. And you know, he's probably just like lackadaisically doodling. Very much could have been. <laughs> people have been trying to figure out what is the loops. And people said, well, it's it must be some sort of key to tuning or something like that. And, and there's been no agreement on what these loops actually mean. But loops do mean something to us. Absolutely. Not only for our hosts, but even what they've been talking about as humans, we should be examining our lives about if we're all just really on a loop. You think we're just drones? I think that the sentiment that if you looked at your life by the season or by the year or even family to family, you might see that like, yeah, yeah. Like you go to the soccer field, you pick up the kids dinner, you go back to the house, you eat, you get the kids to bed, you wake up, you go to school, you pick up the kids, you go around, you wake up, you go to work, you come home. You podcast, you go to bed, right? Like everybody's just on these loops and, and you'd be shocked, I bet, at how many people's loops are similar to your own, especially I think with things like Facebook and social media in general, I think there's a lot more realization of like, oh my God, you like go to the grocery store, come home, eat snacks, watch Netflix, go to bed. Like, well, you do that too. Whoa. I think our listeners could agree that we definitely don't podcast on any kind of schedule. Hells no. If you guys think we're predictable, (laughs) (laughs) you've got another thing coming. Our house is different in that if you guys are new to listening to us, we have three special needs children, um, one of which is um, our eldest daughter, Lauren, who is deafblind. And for sure, I would say she keeps us hopping. I mean, I'm not saying our life is predictable in any way, but I would say that we strive for predictability. (laughs) We we would love to just wake up and do the same thing (laughs) day in and day out without shenanigans. But that never happens. So we're kind of an anomaly in that way. But like I said, I think for the most part, especially with social media, we're that much more aware that as humans, we are not that 
creative. I mean, there are so many people who really just do the same thing day in and day out. And that's why I think when somebody just does the littlest bit of something outside the norm, you see a woman wearing a black dress and red shoes. And that's like enough to be like, what? That's After amazing. Memorial Day. Oh my God. Like you don't have to do anything to really like spark a bunch of attention onto yourself just because we're just so used to the same thing. We joked a lot when the kids were really small that because there was only a couple of kid brands that were very popular at that time, you could almost not tell which kid was yours on the playground because all the children owned the same freaking children's place clothing and so you recognized every outfit and every kid looked the same and it was like freaky like I can't even know if that's my kid whooping up on another kid or if they're nicely sliding down the slide I can't tell anymore we own all the same clothes break out of your ruts people exactly i have friends who like specifically refuse to like buy clothes close by the house just for the same reason they feel like every time they go to any type of get together all the moms have the same outfits on let's start with our probably most rut bound human on our list here Stubbs, he enjoys a good loop, I think. You know, I don't know if Stubbs is a human, so I'm gonna I'm gonna slow down there. I am still very hesitant that Stubbs is perhaps a security robot. So I'm not so sure about him. But I do think that he has been very inquisitive as the hosts go, which is, of course, a part of the nature of being security. So like the way that he actually seemed to register the fact that Bernie should have been sad about Cullen mm -hmm. and he didn't. And he actually had kind of had that curious look on his face like, well, that's odd. Those types of things, I agree with you, make me feel like he's human. But then there's other parts to him that just really smell of host. I'm going with human for Stubbs. Where does he get off with this cowboy shit of going off into the field alone? I do not know how Stubbs is not aware of a little thing I call the buddy system. <laughs> I do not know why it would have been acceptable to be like, hey, there's like some Elsie beeping happening in this kind of remote area. And he's just like, I'm going to go take care of that all by myself. I uh, I just think as a security guard person, I mean, they kind of coined the phrase backup for like right. a freaking he took like reason. A, he took a SWAT team down to cold storage. Right, right. Fully armed with boots and everything. But yet they're going to totally, he's just going to go by himself. <laughs> with boots. <laughs> boots equals totally geared up for war. <laughs> preparedness. Yes, I do feel it does mean preparedness. <laughs> doofus. Come on now, you made a big point that Bernard wore like loafers and he was ill-prepared for That's cold storage. That's true. That's true. So You're you not ready for pointed any... out the footwear equaled preparedness. You're ready for one kind of terrain in office shoes. That is it. <laughs> that Office is, is. That is low pile carpet. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Indoor, outdoor turf. Exactly. Because really, it's not even good for like linoleum or anything because it makes that squeaky sound. It's really no. not good for that. But anyway, old stubs. So I have a question. His voice commands didn't work on the Ghost Nation Warriors. No. A couple reasons that could be if he is a host and their host. Hmm. Um, Maybe they can just flip the bird the at his voice commands. Right. right. But another could be that the Ghost Nation are in cahoots with somebody. You know, I don't know who that is. Okay. But I don't know why taking Stubbs off the board is really to anyone's advantage, you know, because he seems to be pro... Pro HQ, for specifically. sure. Specifically, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So I don't know. I, are you trying to ask like what would anybody's motivation be to take Stubbs out of the well, equation here? Somebody's got to be motivated to take him out. It's been repeated that there are no accidents here. You know, things are always on purpose. So he gets basically lured because that area where he went was not where Elsie was. Elsie was in a little town with buildings. Yes. Inside a theater. No, I wrote that down too. I wrote, I was like, did they lure him? I said the same words. Why would they lure him out there? I'm 100% with you. Whoever did this lured him there on purpose, knew the voice commands were were not going to matter and smuggled him out of there. It could be that everything that we assumed about him up till now is not right. That he was a Cullen's toady or whatever and was going along with her plans. Maybe he didn't know and they need him out of the way so that they can, they being Hale and Sizemore, so that they can complete their data mule project without, you know, the true blue company man there to stand in the way. I like that. That makes good sense. And we've seen that Charlotte is bebopping around out in Westworld. So it's possible that she planted some device that would indicate that Elsie was there out in this remote location. I guess it's possible, although we haven't seen her command any of the hosts to do anything like... But Sizemore would have that capability. Mm. And she did ask him, you know, to start working on narratives that would help manipulate the park. So, yeah, maybe the two of them are behind this. Maybe Sizemore and Charlotte are the people who are really keen on getting security to be weak. Case closed. We figured that one out. Mrs. Butterworth, I didn't know you were coming in here. (laughs) That's not my Mrs. Butterworth, but we're not sharing that one. All right. Well, do you mind if we move on to Maeve or do you have anything else on the Stubbs wagon? Uh, You know what? Stubbs is a bit of a mystery to me, but Maeve is a much better mystery. So do you stand by your theory from last week that she got herself captured? Hell yeah, I do. Oh, well, because this mostly seemed like a really inconvenient trip where nothing was accomplished that actually helped her directly. So I think that she did want to come to HQ. I think that having Bernie take care of the situation, I don't know if she could have planned that or not. But I think she had to do something outrageous behaviorally to get up to behavior. Because see, she wasn't killed. She was taken and taken into behavior. And that's the level she wanted to be on. All these other times when she has been killing herself or getting herself killed, she's only, she only goes down to the level below to the butcher shop. And she said, I need to get into behavior. So she had to do something aberrant with her own behavior to now get escorted to that level. So I think it was planned on her part. But she gave Bernie a, a rude reawakening to his true nature. But other than that, she just got sent back out to the field. What was accomplished by that journey, by that little side jaunt? I don't know if she planned to directly visit with Bernie, if that was like her hope that that was the person that she was going to actually interact with. She did not in any way seem taken aback that it was Bernie, and she seemed pleased to get to interact with Bernie. Well, because she seemed to have a few realizations all at once. A, I've met this guy before, and B, he's not who he thinks he is. Right, and and then he doesn't know. So in that case... In her, you know, manipulation, she has a lot of control over him because not only can she do voice commands to control him, but also she can control his next move by being like, oh, if you're going to find the story, get the whole story. Like she really manipulated him to the rest of this entire episode. Everything that he did had to be motivated by something. Maybe it was actually a story device to have Maeve 
tip Bernie off to his true nature again once his memory was, was erased so that the entire rest of the episode can actually happen between mm. Bernie and Ford. So even though okay. it seems maybe yeah. like an extra hop for Maeve, like why'd she have to go to behavior and then be sent right back out? Well, maybe she was needed to come in and flip the switch for Bernie again without Ford knowing because then it wasn't done by anything Ford was doing. So there was like an external reason why Bernie suddenly knew who he was. If I was going to program myself a best friend that I didn't want anyone else to know was a robot, I would make it so that only the highest level clearance permissions would be able to control him, i.e. mine. I would assume Ford would do the same thing. However, Maeve stopped him in his tracks. And I like that you pointed out to me that she stopped his motor functions, but that his brain was still processing because she was still talking to him and she was still giving him information. And for whatever reason, I guess when I took it, when he was frozen, I take it like they're frozen completely. Like they don't hear anything, see anything, do anything. But you pointed out that like, no, he couldn't move, but he was still listening to her instructions. And it basically like confused him because he was then kind of like, it's sort of it was almost like a magical hand was forcing him to do these moves when he didn't really know why he was doing these moves. I, I mean, I, I think that it, it's pretty cool that that Maeve can do that. Now, here's the other thing that we you talked still about. still have strings, Pinocchio. Absolutely. I think that you and I talked about this. I don't know if it was in, in person or on the last podcast, but the idea that it very much seems like Maeve has more information in her about sort of like the larger big picture. Like we talked about how mm-hmm. she knew her way around Um, by giving directions to the other guys. And she knew about the C6 spying situation and she knew... Now she knows Hector's whole plot. She knows Hector's whole backstory. That that wasn't explicitly shown to us. Right. So she seems to have us. But that's what makes me wonder, especially since they really raised the intelligence information for her, her levels, that how you say only Ford should be able to do this. I mean, maybe she it's only Ford and her because no one was ever supposed to be at those levels before. And so maybe there wasn't any reason to really truly like safeguard mm-hmm. those levels. That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. So I think that she has tapped into those same things. She acts exactly the same way as Ford does with this narrative type of commanding. She seems to prefer the same thing that he does. And he even says it like, I prefer the narrative voice. Yeah. Gross. Which, by the way, sounds a little like Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs, which yeah. is pretty gross. The, right. It puts the lotion in the basket. <laughs> I prefer <laughs> the narrative voice. Right. Nasty. All right. So Maeve, she's able to gain a follower with sweet talk rather than brainwashing him. Well, rather than force, which I think is a huge thing. I was actually thinking a lot about this about Maeve. And I think that it is so genius on her part to realize that even though she has the power to do these narrative commands with fellow hosts that really the way to get them is to capture their hearts and their motive and give them a reason to hate the hq people and hell as she calls it so rather than just say come with me i command you hector follows mave and hector becomes mave's best friend and blah 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 rather than handle it that way which could have been a completely viable course for her she unravels their stories in front of them, including Bernard's, and is like, how you like me now? Like, <laughs> after I tell you everything, might you think I'm somebody you want to follow? You, you're welcome to come along with me if you like, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that that is really, really clever. and um, More of a hearts and minds campaign. 
I think so. I think that, and it also is sort of, if they have their own nugget of hate in there and they're not doing it on her behalf because they are her lackeys, I think that that is so much more powerful and it's really worth giving them a lot of props and giving Maeve a lot of props for coming up with that approach. And she needed a badass just in case. And Hector is that guy. And I think also that Hector seems strangely simple in his storyline. The whole idea that like basically all they have to do is get to the safe and pull it out there and then they all kill each other and then the loop starts again. That's basically his whole thing. So he's like one character, maybe unlike Teddy or unlike some of these other people who we've kind of seen have all these other people that are attached to them and all these other stories and all this other stuff. Like it seems like Hector just had like four other guys that were attached to them and they all kill each other. Mm-hmm. And so then his story is kind of like simple and sweet and easy to just be like, and if you're out of your narration loop here, maybe not that many people will notice for that long. Whereas if he was the bartender or something where it's like, it would stick out real fast that he was not doing his thing, you mm-hmm. know? So I feel like it's like, okay, this was a really good person to pick. And of course, Hector, yes, has devious, you know, planning abilities. That was his whole character. Audacious showmanship in his wild expertise with mayhem as he puts it that's right and so since he already has this desire for mayhem just like she has like the powerful ability to read people he has the ability to create chaos that's like a part of his nature if you will that's a really good guy to have on your team what did you think about this tent scene and the way that Maeve decides to bring them both down there i think it is her best bet of causing her body enough damage that she gets sent to the retirement area. Yeah. And so we had two different uh, possibilities for this. Like when it first happened, when she kicks over the flames, I was like, oh my God, this is going to do like massive damage to their bodies. Like it's going to melt their skin. It's going to ruin their actual mechanical equipment in some way, even if they kind of blow this fire out. Now I do have one question on that. Man in Black had to get permission for the little explosive to light that match. Do you remember that? Yeah. Permission from security this to be able to do that. This was already burning. I know. But I still kind of think that it should have been the kind of thing, really, if you really think about the rules of the park, there's really no plausible reason why a fire that large and that un- uncontrolled should have been able to happen. Like it should have been something like where they molded the glass in a way on that where if if it tips, it extinguishes itself in some way, some safeguard. Because think, think, this could have been a host and a human interaction that was happening in that tent. And a human could have been getting burned alive. Like, come on now. Something about that, especially because they showed us a human having to get permission to start a fire. And they've already told us only certain hosts can even chop wood to start the fire. And so therefore, like that other camp had to just sit there in their same loop because no one could start a fire without Maybe the woodcutter. Maybe Maeve granted herself all the various permissions. That's, that's possible. Whoring. Chopping, <laughs> fire building. <laughs> I just think that it would have sent off all kinds of like sirens, if you will. You know, mm. and the crazy maybe that'll about get that, them. Maybe that'll get them rescued faster, so they don't actually need to burn to a crisp. They just need to get damaged. 
Because, I mean, wouldn't you think that, like, I, I have no idea how they could have, like, smoke detectors out in the wilderness. But at the same time, I mean, this is all a synthetic land. So the tent itself could right. be woven with something that extinguishes it. They were know? able to pick up a, an explosion before it started in, the, in a lock in that jail. Right. So that's pretty tiny business. It is. So I don't know. And, of course, the other thought was that we know that Felix and Sylvester had explained to Maeve that the only way to get rid of that C6 in her spine was like it would require a total rebuild. And so when we were sort of talking about like, holy crap, why would Maeve want to do such damage to her body? The first thing I thought was, oh my God, this is going to require total rebuilds on the two of them. Maybe this is the opportunity to have that C6 um, vertebrae situation addressed. But I liked your idea too. Like what if they were damaged beyond repair in a way that they just go directly to cold storage without maybe even getting lobotomized or anything? Like maybe they just go because they're physically so destroyed. That was my bet. Now we've seen the preview and so we have seen them in cold storage next week. But why they're there and how they get there is don't know. still up for, for grabs. So, But I'm feeling pretty good that, that we're kind of on track with there's some way they have to destroy their bodies, whether it's in order to get a rebuild or whether it's in order to address the C6 situation. Either way works for me that I think that it's great. I do think they need to get to cold storage to get fellow lobotomized hosts to be a part of their army because I think that Maeve is going to have some way to maybe reverse those things or rebuild them in some way. Well, they may not all be lobotomized. They may just be, as Bernie put it, hobbled in some other way that they haven't shown us because they didn't show any lobotomizing for Tom Abernathy or what is his name? Remus or something like that. Rebus, I think was his name. No? Walter? Walter. I'm like, who the hell's Rebus? Rebus was, was <laughs> mutton chops. And You mean Reba? <laughs> and, and Walter was the growing boy guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, Walter definitely lost his shit. But you don't think he got lobotomized? What do you think they did? They just like put him down there and was like, no, I think they have their off switch. Yeah, I think they have a storage mode, like a super low power or no power, just like they do for old naval vessels. They just go stick them out oh, in, in the I harbor. How could I forget about how they handle naval vessels? I'm always forgetting. <laughs> nerd alert, nerd alert. <laughs> That's, you're spending the night on the Lexington this year. <laughs> Uh, Boy Scouts in the Lexington. All right. So William came out of his shell. Whoa. So to speak, huh? So last we saw William, uh, Logan had come in on the scene and we knew they were in big trouble. I did not exactly expect Logan to have tied him to a chair and stuffed a dirty rag in his mouth. That seemed extra disgusting and unnecessary. And when Logan actually takes it out to wipe his own face, I felt like you are such a Freaking pig, Logan. Like, <laughs> freaking pig. Sveinhund yes. is what I like to say, pig dog. Yes. He's disgusting. So, did you expect that Logan was going to slash Dolores' belly to prove something to William? Or did you think there was going to be something else there? I kind of thought that this was going to turn out even worse. <laughs> yeah. I thought he was going to... going to get sexual? Mm, no. Okay, so I'm not a girl, so I didn't think of it that way. Um, dude, he licked at her like with a full tongue lick, like "Show me you're a real girl." Lick at her face. Come on, that no, was like a I was disgusting. thinking just more graphically vicious than just a little like cut her boob off. Well, something you know, something horrible. That would have been really disgusting. Some yeah, 
something just undeniably horrible. But what he did was 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 descriptive enough. It was mainly gross for me because of Dolores's screaming. Because she was she was selling it that this was awful excruciating. Well, he sunk pain. that thing in there. Oh my god, he did. It was like really, really deep. Because then when they actually pulled apart, you're like, how'd you even do that? Because really, you only needed to cut about an inch in. Like you really could have yeah. just put the tip in and like sliced it. I mean, he like six inches deep. It's almost amazing that she still functioned. Like, how did he not cut wires and stuff? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But was it pretty amazing to see the like pumping of the yeah. actual machinery well, it was, in it was, there? It was pretty cool. I am of the mind that Dolores, even though she is a freer mind than other hosts, I don't know that she saw her mechanical guts. So do you think it's the type of thing like, it doesn't look like anything to me? Bloody hole. Yeah. So it just doesn't look like anything to me. Yeah. Okay. So I understand Logan's motives in this situation because to be honest, I kind of a little bit kind of forgot about the fact that he would be extremely protective of his own sister. So when William is like blathering on about bringing Dolores out of the park and all this kind of stuff, Logan produces that picture, which holy crap. So it turns out that's Juliet, right? It's the last bit of evidence you would need to to really grab on to the multiple timeline theory. I because think so. Because the picture was in pristine shape. A little weird that Logan carries like a four by six candid of his sister in his breast pocket of his coat. It would seem like all modern things would need to have been confiscated before you actually set foot in the park. Um, and again, where's your four by six of your sister? You think it's sort of... You don't of, have one in your pocket? What? What? Maybe, maybe Logan's last name is Lannister and <laughs> they're into brother and sister <laughs> shenanigans. Gross. Maybe. Did you notice that little thing on his lapel? Yeah. I've heard talk that that's a Game of Thrones looking Well, thing. it looks a lot like the Hand of the King insignia that Tyrion and his dad wear. Do you think that's like an Easter egg from GOT? Well, it really resembled it. Um, so yes, but but why? Who is he the hand of? Because you're not the boss when you are the hand of the king. You are the boss's next guy in line. Logan's whole job here is to try to keep William from going down this path with Dolores. There's plenty of people who don't want William to go down this path with Dolores. If you thought of HQ as the gods, Logan is the hand of the gods. He's acting right? on their behalf. Yes. I mean, but I don't know. Not that I think they're handing out brooches to anybody, okay? <laughs> I'm not suggesting that that's what's happened. Right. But I am just saying, like, if you're trying to kind of make some sort of hierarchy in your head, yeah, Logan is actively trying to deter William and Dolores from going on this so like adventure. The, the stubs from 30 years ago is like, make sure he gets the brooch. <laughs> exactly. Give him the opal one. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. I totally understood Logan's motive in the moment to slash Dolores' belly because I feel like he was doing that, honestly, for his, like, his sister's honor. Really even way more than to freak out William. However, he, don't He enjoyed he, it a little much. I don't think he thought through the snap that was going to happen in William's mind. Because when William looks at Dolores' stomach and sees the mechanical workings and looks up at her face and she's like, William... I think his brain just went like, crash. 
I can't think of this. Like, I can't think of this woman's face who I've, she's like the face that launched a thousand ships, right? And she's just so beautiful. And, and oh my God, I'm so in love with her. And then you look down and you're like, but there's oil spilling out of her pipes here. <laughs> you know, so like, I, I honestly think his mind just snapped in that moment. Like if someone has like a nervous breakdown moment where you could pinpoint back to like, that's when they snapped. I think seeing that scene, I don't think Logan realized what he did, that he like freaking snapped his friend. It's almost like the reverse with the hosts, that they can't see things that will hurt them. He saw something that hurt him. And instead of just not seeing it, it just broke his brain. Yeah. And I think it broke his humanity. It broke the parts of him that kept him sort of reserved and having some sort of respect for life or anything. I think that there was a whole disconnect from what is being alive and what is having, like I said, like respect for a living creature because it just seemed to honestly just break him apart. Do you think they'll show us the logistics of just how it is that one man kills about a hundred other guys with a knife? I think that William was savvy in the way that he went about getting to that point. Acting as if he did finally understand that Dolores was just a robot and nothing that he needed to be worried about and actually like hugged it out with Logan to the cheering of all the soldiers. Right. I'm sure the Confederados in real life were like, yeah, for for bro love. (laughs) We totally had the closed caption on and one of the soldiers yells, whiskey brings us together. (laughs) what okay sure sure it's like the westworld version of like i love you man it's like (laughs) sure sure awesome i think that maybe that led to a night of drinking on a lot of people's parts and i do think with everyone sort of subdued you could do a lot of throat slitting huh i think you could i mean and especially i really wonder if in the previous episode if william did very quietly kill that other confederado you said like pinched his nose and kind of covered up his oh, mouth. Oh, the boy, right. I kind of think you could go around and do a lot of things to a lot of people and kill enough of them quietly that maybe you get a, enough of a jump on them. And then I also think based on the splatter blood on the side of his face, which was very similar to Maeve's splatter on her face, very similar I felt like he must have appeared to be like berserk when this actually happened. I don't even get how some of the people kind of like, quote unquote, died. That's the thing. Like some of these people were laying on the ground with like just their arm taken off. No, I'm not saying just your arm taking off wouldn't kill you. (laughs) But at the same time, we've seen a lot done to Teddy and he's still like alive and kicking. You know, look at Kissy and look at some of the other ones. Like you had to lose like a lot of blood. Well, these were older generation hosts for one thing. I don't know, man. Because you're right, they do show the ground, you know, kind of a top-down sort of view, and it's lousy with body parts. Yeah, parts. But not really, like, pools of blood. Like, Oh, there's enough blood. No, yeah, there's definitely... And he has blood on his hands, but he's not, like, covered in blood himself. But there's, like, definitely blood, blood on his hands. Maybe he wore smock. Maybe he did. That makes good sense. Tasteful smock. A tasteful confederado smock. Yes. One moment in time that felt like really similar, like I said, that there was kind of that blood splatter on the side of Maeve's face, and that seemed so similar on William. There's another moment when William and Logan are going to have their makeup moment. Logan does this squeeze move on William's shoulder kind of area. 
And it was the exact same kind of move that Dr. Ford did to Teddy when they were in the bar that changed Teddy from normal Teddy to berserker Teddy. Logan does that squeeze move to William. And then literally hours later, William has gone berserker. I'm just saying that was a pretty distinct move that Ford did to Teddy. And then right after that, Teddy is like, like, we got to get out of here. William's been all cooled out, fine, even like a little dejected at this point. Logan does this squeeze move to his neck, and all of a sudden he's like, I chopped the entire Confederado army to death. Oh, now you're going to help me find Dolores, and like jumps on him and stuff. That's awfully similar. Now, what the hell that means, I do not know. I think that means don't touch my shoulder at Christmas dinner. You're going to get up and like karate chop the Christmas tree? You'll be like, take that, Nana. Right, right. (laughs) Well, do you see a wicked similarity there, especially to how two characters who didn't have that same aggression, Teddy was like the teddy bear. William was like kind of overly passive about a lot of stuff. He was just trying to talk Logan into stuff. But then you have these two guys who like totally lose their minds and like act insane. It's something to keep an eye on. I mean, everything seems to mean something here, you know? I saw a post on Facebook today of the examination room in the cold storage area. In one shot, you could see an electrical outlet on one of the legs of the table. On the next shot, from the same angle, you couldn't see it anymore. In this show, it's a legit question of, is it the same room? Is it the same time? Or is it just a continuity error? The continuity stuff, I feel like that the showrunner people better be so on top of that because we are all looking for any anomalies from one shot to another shot that, I mean, holy crap. If you're making any quote unquote mistakes, you're going to get some people like falling out. Because really, when you look at the two pictures... And you did one of those, you know, highlights magazine, like what's different kind of studies. They, they're not even the same room. Wow. They're not built the same way. There's, there's a little outcropping of brick in one picture that isn't there in the next. But to the glance, they're the same room. But when you start adding up these dissimilarities, it's like, what did they what are you even look at? What are you doing to me? Crazy. Well, speaking of Ted and his big adventures. He has continued on with Man in Black here and he has become quite a, I want to say like albatross around Man in Black's neck because I thought Teddy was supposed to be helping with stuff. He was brought along to be a gun hand. I thought he was being brought along because he knew Wyatt and he would know where to go and he needed his help because he knew where Wyatt might be found and all this kind of crap. He has turned out to be a major pain in the ass. What has he done? I mean, maybe you could say, well, his mere presence brought these people forward, the Minotaur and all these other people, Wyatt's guys, because they're after Teddy. Could be. But Drew's Louise, I mean, getting that arrow yanked out of his chest and everything, crap. From the audience point of view, I get it. We need to hear the story from Teddy. We need to understand that he's clearly not remembering Wyatt right. Right. And that we have to go through this exercise with him of like, okay, you tell the story. And Angela is going to sit there and try to be like, is that really what happened? And then he has to retell the story like, oh, wait a minute. They were not all these soldiers that got killed. Actually, I gunned down like innocent women and children. And I wasn't dressed out in like soldier garb. I was actually wearing like a sheriff's badge. That, or would, ex- that would explain the, the discrepancy with the ranks. Because if he was never programmed to even know about ranks or anything like that, then his recollection would just be like stock 
army uniform. Okay, I'm wearing it. Okay, now I know a sergeant is a thing, so he'll just wear another uniform. It doesn't care if it matches, just so long as it looks like an army uniform. Right. So that was our clue. And I guess that it was a false memory, at least not a very well thought out, detailed memory that was in there. I don't know if this is more about Ford's intention or if Teddy's just sort of just meant to always be this side character in the narratives. But Whenever someone says, tell me about Wyatt, he says the exact same thing every time. Right. Like Rain Man. <laughs> you know, he just says it like by rote. You well, know? of course, because that's his loop, though. That's his new loop is that that's what he's going to tell. He went out on maneuvers. Oh, my God. It came back with strange ideas. Yeah. But here's the thing. The other part that they have told us time and time again is that the programmers kind of don't have a lot of time and that Ford himself isn't exactly the master programmer that he would like to be. I mean, that is even the reason he gave that he made Bernie. It's because he needed somebody to get even, be even better than he is at doing code. It's totally possible, and they've kind of explained this, that like they just piggyback off of other programming. So here's the thing. If Teddy's program original was to go into the city under the sand and shoot up the whole town, and now Ford wants to introduce this idea of Wyatt, and so all he does is go into that coat and change what everyone's wearing for this memory and change the girls and the children and the women into all soldiers, he didn't actually change the memory. He just like altered it a little bit. Uh -huh. He just like tweaked it. And I kind of think that might be But because... let's explain that exact same idea in, their, in terms of their personality. But there's no reason that conceptually it couldn't apply to their memory as well. He was saying how with their backstories, the reason that Maeve could just kind of take a few tweaks and be, go from Frontiers Woman to Madam was that there was enough similarity that they could just kind of, you know, nip and tuck there. Which is insane when you think about it. There's nothing similar about being a mom on the frontier. To Isn't being... there? <laughs> no. <laughs> but, but conceptually, though, you could see where that same idea of where it takes so much work to do something brand new yeah, and they original. Said, they said thousands of hours of programming to build something from scratch. So all they really do is, I'm going to say, put like an overlay of... That's... Of very, yeah, I would say that's exactly right. Of like characteristics or, or a little personality difference or something, or just simply what they're wearing and, and that type of thing. But it's really very much the same program. Given that though, it just shows that because Ford is kind of being portrayed as a weak programmer, I do feel like this Wyatt story was really Arnold's to begin with. This whole entire shoot up the town thing was like Teddy's story that Arnold gave him. I was thinking of it from another angle, but I don't have any conclusions. It's that they have these memories anyway, which given the addition of the reveries where he was trying to take advantage of old covered up memories anyway, it seems like Ford is trying to draw out these old memories for some unknown agenda. And in this case, he's just, like you said, putting an overlay on top of them. So he's like taking advantage of something that's already there, which makes a lot of sense because that seems to be the theme of everything that he does. Um, take advantage of something that's already there and just make the most of it. My new narrative is actually just a very old narrative that the rest of you have forgotten. Not forgotten. I, I colored it with a different shade of color here that's all it's not that you've forgotten it and maybe here's the thing maybe i even need you to remember because that just gives me another whole batch of stories to work with 
to put these overlays on. So if Teddy was wiped clean every time and he didn't remember the Sand City story, then the amount of stories that Ford would have to work with would be finite. However, if I gave you the ability to have memories, these reveries, then I could dip into old stories, put an overlay on them, and now look at me, I made a new narrative. When really Ford was like, not capable of being this god he wants to be. He doesn't have the skill set, in my opinion. And I feel like that comes up time and time again. When Man in Black's like, if I wanted to ask the creator, I'd need a shovel because he's in the dead in the ground. All those moments that they have said to us over and over, including Ford himself, he's like, I wasn't capable. That's why I made you, Bernard. And you were so smart and you were so capable that then I would turn around and use the tricks on you. Because like you said, he uses what's already there to his own advantage. Mm -hmm. So I just feel like he just keeps doing that. And maybe that's why some of these memories and these overlays can be peeled back so easily. They're just so thinly laid over something else that was there that for the most part has been tragic for those <laughs> characters. That's why they had to move on, you know? Mm -hmm. All right. So I think we've got Teddy pretty well figured out because his contributions to this episode are short. But it was good to know that he was basically having like false memories. I think the idea of understanding the weight that even a false memory has and that how much the people could be motivated by false memories was really, really sold to me with, with Bernard's story this time. But I feel like Teddy kind of laid the groundwork for me on that, where he basically had to have that moment where he was like, oh my God, that isn't how it happened at all. And it took this outside host to basically be like, come on, come on, keep thinking, is that really what happened? And maybe it's even seeing her face or whatever. Maybe that jogged another memory inside of him. But I do feel like that his story helped me be ready for Bernie's story later. Well, another thing about Teddy's story that helps this whole thing make a lot more sense was what we were trying to talk about last week when we were saying, what is memory? And, you know, what is the difference between a memory that is implanted and a memory of an event that actually happened. And what we couldn't reconcile until this week was Teddy had only been given this memory of his collusion with Wyatt a week ago. However, there was all this other stuff happening outside of Teddy's sphere of influence that suggested that this shit really happened some amount of time ago. Him remembering something and having the full weight in his mind of this terrible event in his history, but it only also only possibly having taken a week ago right. in, in time, it didn't work. But now it does because he was forced to remember it incorrectly, but changed the names to protect the innocent, right? So, right, exactly. <laughs> and so you're right. So there were all these victims of a true crime situation or a true incident, if you will. And whomever did it, Ford, I'm going to say, like you said, kind of realigned the information to make him feel like, oh, it was this Wyatt guy. And I just felt like I was talked to by the devil. I wonder who the devil is in this case. I think we kind of talked about, you have to know the devil if you're going to be God. We kind of know who the devil is. And Maeve keeps calling HQ hell. Oh my, I know. It's very blatant. And she sometimes calls them gods, but like with an S, which to me, the devil kind of is a god in his own right. He's a bad god. But he's a god in his own right. So like a he, little G god? Yes. I was just going to say. So not capital G god, but like little G. Like he is a god in his own realm. I really thought that Teddy's story was interesting, though very, very short. And I was really surprised that he got stabbed, that Angela was all, you're not ready. It was interesting that she thought another reset would be the trick rather than seeing that he has seen the light in this lifetime. 
why can't they cultivate that? But I guess that's just not how it works. So the Man in Black certainly had some strange happenings. I was very intrigued to see the hosts were capable of not necessarily killing him, but of creating a booby trap that could very well kill him. Do you think that Hale was standing there watching that whole thing where he's, you know, scrabbling around in the dirt trying to find the knife, blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't think that she could have just... Timed it perfectly to walk in just the second he saved himself. I think she had to have seen something. I'll go with you on that. I think she had to have seen something. She would have saved him because she needed his vote. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's totally Charlotte for you. But I liked how that they kept saying that she was like interrupting him. It really did like take you out of the story, which was funny. I mean, Charlotte did successfully interrupt our Teddy Man in Black narrative. I felt like I was completely taken out of the entire thing when suddenly they have to do like work talk. Yeah. And be like, what are you going to vote on this issue? What are you going to do? Okay. Do I have your vote? Blah, blah, blah. Like it really, I was like, wait, who are we? Wait, are we? Who's Wyatt? Are we going to Sand City? What is happening right now? It very much took me out of the moment. So I was with Man in Black, like, get the frig out of here, Charlotte. You're really ruining the vibe. When Angela and the other Minotaur people said that you couldn't see Wyatt yet because of in some some sort of you know scheduling snafu i don't remember the exact words didn't it sound a lot like el lazo like how they were like uh you can't see him till the morning sorry didn't yeah. it sound isn't that just like the kind of stalling the hosts do when the actual host in question is not available for for yeah. some reason is like not in place yeah Yeah, I agree with you on that. You know, we've been starting to wonder if Wyatt is actually Dolores because we got a bunch of information this episode where if you kind of put little things together, it seemed a lot like, you know what, wait a minute, even though I know Wyatt's a man and I know that that's going to kind of confuse us and make us think, well, then that can't be Dolores because that's a man. But we already know now that there was an overlay. We already are positive that the original memory doesn't match this Wyatt narrative. It doesn't. So there's no reason that every other person in that story had an overlay over them. And Wyatt is still a man in a union uniform, right? Right. It doesn't make sense. If everybody in that entire scene was actually put in soldier clothing, then whomever Wyatt is, is also not in soldier clothing. That doesn't make any sense. And the unavailability of why it makes sense because they can't find Dolores. She's gone walkabout. Right, exactly. I feel like we're we're very much onto something here. As we move into Dolores now and we start talking about her, her adventure brought us to a very good nugget of info that I think is going to come back and play in this supposed Wyatt story. Dolores, after getting her belly slashed, runs off and successfully makes it to Sand City. In that moment when she's sort of in that little, I don't know, glade or whatever you would call that, that tiny ravine, that is where I believe the time jump happens. She sees herself in her pants and and shirt, but the shirt isn't cut anymore and she's not cut anymore. And I think that from then on, we are living in the now, even though we may be seeing things that happened in the past, we are seeing them sort of as she sees them as sort of living memories rather than still involved with that narrative. You know what I mean? Right. So so we see her in that sort of now mode up until when she gets to the church. She walks directly into the church and the church is full of people who are all like talking to themselves and in various states of distress. And we recognized Angela 
and Armistice were both looking disturbed. In, yeah, they're in like, the they're all having there. like conversations with themselves and everything. She walks right over to the confessional booth there, hops in, and it turns out the confessional booth is like a crazy ride down to hell. This whole sequence of when she goes down and she sees this wild amount of disrepair and bodies laying, and then this other memory of a younger Ford racing down the hall saying that he needs to go talk to Arnold. That, to me, seemed kind of like a a mashup of different things that she might have experienced rather than one complete memory from start to finish. Because of the way she was able to walk through it, how could all those events be happening simultaneously? That she would be able to walk through the people laying dead on the floor and a card game of hosts and Arnold and Ford just having a, a, a tense business meeting. Why would those three things be happening in the same memory at the same time? I mean, I, th- I think you're right. I think it is just a mashup. So I feel like it's like she's hitting like the high points of each parts of those memories. So if you think about it like memory A, memory B, memory C, meaning that those are different timelines, but she's walking through the same space, the things that stick out to her are like the most striking thing of that particular walkthrough. So if you walk through and all the hosts are cut up and dead and laying on gurneys and stuff, then having a flash of that and seeing that, let's call that memory A, then you're like, oh my God, that's what stands out to me. But then having Dr. Ford stride past you in memory B, well, that's going to be the part that sticks out because nobody was maybe laying around in memory B, you Mm -hmm. know? So that's the part that's going to stick out. It was striking to me that Ford does just brush right by her and go to have this argument with Arnold because I asked you, I was like, is she invisible now? Because why would she be allowed to be like wandering about down there at any point in time, no matter what timeline this is? Mm -hmm. Why does that make any sense? I mean, he literally like bumps shoulders with her, doesn't acknowledge her at all. It only makes sense if she was actually there, but maybe not as she is seeing it right then. Maybe she was laying on a table. Maybe she was standing at attention or not just traipsing down the hall. I don't know. I'm just, I'm pretty sure though, it didn't happen like that. None of those scenes happened with her just walking with her brand new looking blue dress, just casually down the hall. I, I don't think any of those three scenes played out that way. I agree with that. And the other thing I, and I know this is, this is like a very far-fetched idea, but still, I really don't feel like Ford is human. I really feel like that he has a host quality about him. And the more that he tries to explain humans to us, the more host-like he feels. In that particular moment, the way he just walked right by her, I had this weird, weird feeling of like, I don't see anything at all. He just walked right by her. What the mm. hell? You know, why, why could he walk right by her? That doesn't make any damn sense at all. It doesn't mm. make any sense. Unless Arnold wanted her to be there and made it that Ford didn't see her. Interesting. There's gotta be, I feel like something's too fishy about that. Now, I, I agree with you that it could also be the idea that her memories aren't reliable. She's got just nuggets of it. You know, maybe she was sort of off in another room when Ford went running by. I don't know. That other part of that scene that really struck me was Abernathy being in the other room. Mm -hmm. To me, clearly practicing his professor spiel, which is from that dinner party horror narrative that they said that he was going to be in. Yeah. I'm really interested knowing that Hale and Sizemore tapped him to come out of cold storage. I'm really interested in if somehow he comes back, I don't know what kind of narrative Sizemore is going to put him in. 
but I kind of have this feeling that we're going to see some flashback to that dinner party because that dinner party sounds insane. (laughs) Dinner party horror. I can't wrap my brain around exactly how it's going to happen, but I just feel like there's going to be something there. Now that would put us at a different timeline even, I think. Mm. Who knows? Maybe even Arnold will be a part of that. I don't know. Maybe he'll be in that dinner party. If he preferred the company of hosts at some point, maybe he did make little dinner parties for himself to just participate in. They say he would only talk to hosts at one point. So he created his own in-park events just for his own use? Would you? He didn't want to create a park where people come in and have sex with them and hurt everyone and leave. I think he wanted a different kind of park. So the idea that he created his own dinner park, I don't know. Mm, Yeah. I don't know. Because he was teaching them to square dance. Why wouldn't he teach them to have a dinner party? I don't know. Interesting. All right. It seems mundane. I agree with you. But the square dancing was mundane as well. Nobody wanted to watch a square dancing demo. I think when she came into the town and her perspective shifted from wearing the pants and the shirt to her blue dress, the whole blue dress part, she was still kind of walking through reality and overlaying these mashed up memories. And then the blue dress was just sort of like a signifier that we're in a more surreal state (laughs) right now. And that's when she started the conversation with Arnold, she was in the blue dress. But after she makes her admission that she was the one to have killed him. Then the next shot is she's alone and with the pants again. Okay. That moment where Bernard old, or I don't know who came down those stairs. I know you're going to say it was Arnold, right? I am. Yeah. But what? So, okay. So then she's like, okay, but the reason why you can't help me is because you're just a memory. Yeah. So I'm just remembering you being here and talking to me. And then he's like, right, and... Well, pretty inconveniently, there's also been all these voices she's been hearing, too, that have been saying things like, remember. Remember what? Remember that you killed Arnold? Remember that you killed Arnold. Or maybe remember why you killed Arnold. Once you realize you've done it, maybe you have to then go through with all the other surrounding circumstances, like when it happened, how it happened, and why it happened. And maybe there's something to those things. Because the event itself is not, I mean, you can't bring Arnold back to life. Or maybe she doesn't know she can because there's actually another Arnold, <laughs> you know. No idea. No idea at all. This part was, uh, was very confusing. I feel like as much as I've been able to keep a lot of this stuff straight, I felt like this last part with her going the, from the part that she went down in the booth at the confessional, that whole part all the way through to her admitting to being the killer of Arnold and coming back up and Man in Black coming into the church and her being like horrified everything's like what you know like i don't know i don't know but it does lead me to believe that dolores is wyatt then because i feel like endgame was sand city the church is the center of it that's what i think i think that that that's what led men in black is looking for wyatt he's not looking for dolores and when he came in and saw dolores he was like aces got it do you suppose the scenes where we saw the town buried earlier this season were a either another town or b another time frame well i can't explain the whole idea of how did they get all the sand out of the town if somehow now is a time when there's no sand i don't really understand that's what i'm saying like that from this portion has proven for me to be the most confusing when you take a good look at the black spire and the white spire, except for the cross on top, they're not the same spire. Which leads me to believe it could be a different town. 
And like I said, maybe the black spire was where Arnold is actually buried. Maybe that looked very, very similar to Sand City's real church, you know, Mm -hmm. but with a slight alteration, i.e. it's now a tomb. I am glad that this coming episode is 90 minutes (laughs) because they got some splaining to do. Speaking of someone who's still looking for explanations. Bernie, just normal day at work. He's got a host that's acting a little weird. So they brought him in to deal with Maeve personally. There's been some trouble at the park lately, you know, that distant person that he knew just professionally, Cullen, died. (laughs) And now he's got to go deal with Maeve. I really like her approach with Bernard that she wants to snap him out of this I'm a human mode and really expose to him the reality that he is not one of them. And in fact, he needs to start working with her. I really like that you pointed out to me that While she did freeze his motor functions, his brain was still totally absorbing everything she was saying. His mind was like getting completely twisted in a knot while he was frozen. We heard her say everything. I know his mind was processing it. But then when she like lets him go back into having his normal motor function to watch his face be like, like, what did I just hear? And like trying to, again, sort of question his own reality. Well, if someone did that to you, You were walking, they said, oh, by the way, freeze all motor function. And then you did. Listening would be one thing that you could do. The other part would be your brain be like, what the fuck? You know? Like I'm frozen. (laughs) Well, it's like people's worst nightmare too, is the idea that your brain is still functional and working and you are like paralyzed. For a human, that's like an extremely, extremely horrifying proposition for him to have to endure that and be told you're not even a human anyway. Oh my God. So when it comes to the proposition of allowing her back into the park, it might've very understandably been like, yeah, fine, get away. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. You're clear. You're clear. You're clear. Yeah. Watching him walk back down that glass hallway and like looking around and seeing naked hosts everywhere and stuff. He looked like he just needed to give himself a giant hug. And he like goes behind that pillar and is like, like, like if he could go take a shower and wash it all off, he totally would. I don't know if it happened instantaneously or organically. When he goes and talks to Ford, it's almost like that erasure from last week never happened. So either when he woke up, he remembered what was missing or he woke up and knew there's only one person that could have done this, Ford. And then he goes to Ford's office and finds whatever material he's looking for to first look through his code. And then go and find Ford. So do you think that he knew enough just as like like the behavioralist to know to go find the master codes for everyone, I assume, and Ford's office would have everyone's. And I'm sure he wasn't necessarily thinking, I'm going to go look for my code, but just I'm going to go look for like any clue that can help me understand like if I'm on any roster or if I see anything about Bernard, yeah. then I'm going to freak out. And I really appreciated the background soundtrack of that blood pumping, high blood pressure, rushing sound in your ears that that you could hear. They give me such a visceral reaction of feeling like this is really intense right now and really heartbreaking to have to go through again with Burn because I feel like, you know, we just had him have this explosion in the last episode and him have to go through everything and simmer down and get his memory erased. And now he's finally back to work again. You know, he's like, I'm going to have a good day today. (laughs) It's like, no, Burn, bad day again, Bernie. 
So he does have Ford meet him down in the cold storage meat locker. I feel like he immediately confronted Ford's assertions that he was the all-knowing, all-powerful Oz here. And, you know, he quickly was like, actually, when I really checked out my code, the most elegant parts of my code were written by Arnold. So I need to meet Arnold. Ford really pushed back on this with him and was like, you know, you're not going to be able to see him. You're not, he's not going to be there. And we got into this whole conversation about his cornerstone memory. Bernard's cornerstone memory is specifically losing his child. That's one thing that I really appreciated that he brought up to Ford was this idea, not just you gave me a child, but really he doesn't have all these memories of the child's birth and his first birthday and the time when he taught the kid to ride a bike and blah, blah, blah. No, his memory is the child dying. Mm -hmm. And why would you take me to that as this cornerstone? And while at first that might seem like to all of us like, God, that that's really cruel. What is that? But in a lot of ways, as parents who have special needs kids, and if you guys are new to our podcast, our cornerstone of this podcast was that we have this family that has intense special needs kids, including one of our children, Lauren, is deaf and blind. And our lives are anything but normal and typical for us, our cornerstone memory would not be, again, like those moments, those jolly moments. It was the birth of kids that were going to have extreme needs from the get-go. So for us, that was like the turn our lives took. It's not necessarily something that is negative for us, but it shaped every second of our life from there on out. And so I understand why Bernie's cornerstone wouldn't necessarily for him be the birth of his child or anything, but the loss of the child that he knew and had. It's almost a way of just summing up the turning point in that person or host's life where pretty much everything that came before it doesn't really matter because what happens after it is so deeply affected by that one event. And, you know, I'm sure for, for our listeners, you can think back in your own life and be like, it was the death of my mom. It was that car accident. It was that terrible night, that one thing that happened, whatever it was, that everybody has that cornerstone memory. And honestly, it doesn't matter who you were before. It only matters how that shapes your life from that point forward, and you're forever a different person. And so I do think it was very challenging for Bernie. I, I appreciated the scene where he said, I have to let you go. That's a lot about even in our own lives of how we can move on at any point and start to have moments like our podcasting, where we don't have our entire moment by moment life shaped by that one cornerstone memory anymore. You have to let go in some way and say like, it's okay if I think about other things too sometimes. And that's kind of what I felt like Bernard was having that conversation with his son. It's like, I don't want to in any way lessen what you mean to me if I try to now think of things that are not just about this loss and just about this sadness. I don't want to lose who you were to me, but I'm going to have to let it go if I'm going to ever think about anything else. There's quite a progression leading up to that though. He asked Ford, I want to see my first moments, my first memories. And Ford says, sure. And then he puts him under and he sees his son's death and he has a few more memories. And then he comes out of it and he's like, boy, that sucked. Let's, let's try it again. Send me under. I want to see my first memory. And it's kind of the same thing. He sees his son. He sees a few other memories. But along the way, he's kind of picking up a couple of tricks 
He doesn't know that he is, but in the vignette with Cullen, how he's able to stop the memory. And then as if Cullen is just mannequining in the bed, he's able to walk around and, and get a kind of a slightly different perspective on things. I think that if we compare what he's able to do with his memories to what Dolores is kind of doing in that church scene, mm-hmm. I think we're seeing the same rules applied in both places. Maybe, I don't know, maybe a host's perception of a given event, time and place is somewhat more detailed than we can understand and allows them that 3D perspective, even though their eyes didn't see it, somehow they perceived it. You know what I mean? And maybe I would go to the point of that they are a part of technology and that the technology is like sort of all around them. And so we don't really know what they're like sort of Bluetoothed into. Right. I'm sure like, you know, how it could be cameras or virtual reality recreations of spaces. Well, especially like how they were talking to Maeve and they said, you know, why did you slash Clementine? And she's like, well, I had a perceived threat in that situation. And so they may actually build a host in a way that maybe not exactly that they can see 360, but if they're supposed to be also sort of the guardians of humans, they may have sort of this extra sense about things that are going around around them that isn't necessarily just like you said what their ocular viewpoints are but they have to maybe have like a greater sense of themselves in order to play that safeguard for the rest of the guests in the park so the progression is he goes under he manipulates his memory just a little bit and but he comes out and he's sort of breathing heavy and he's and he's and you can tell it's it's wearing on him and then he goes under again and he remembers a time the when uh, when Maeve came in again with the daughter. Remember the the daughter episode and yeah, and, and Maeve like slit her own throat. Right. I think the main part about that is that he questioned why Maeve would behave that way. I mean, my takeaway was that the more that he seemed to question it, and the more that he seemed to be curious and want to delve into why would a host behave that way he was starting to not just be internally thinking about what was happening, but have a different perspective, like we said, and realize that Ford was pushing him away from those questions and manipulating that situation so that he would stop questioning Mm -hmm. that situation. The other scene that stuck out to me was when he remembered the conversation with his wife on the video chat. Mm -hmm. And he's watching his wife, watching his wife, and then suddenly there's like this blip on the screen of Ford's face, like transposed on her face freaky but also it's like he was having that outside himself thought that like holy crap i think ford was orchestrating that conversation which is something we talked about the entire time and why we had a sense that bernie was a host or at least i did because there was this sense that like ford can just control everything and he's such a braggart about how i control every blade of grass I'm a part of just every single thing that happens that if you're seeing a scene and it's remotely, I don't know, of interest to you, my big question is what part did Ford play in this scene? And for me, that goes back to our conversation with Maeve, with Teddy, with William, with Dolores. What part, and Stubbs for that matter, what part is Ford playing in this scene? Because he is the puppeteer. He is the magician, if you will. Everything's magic to everyone except for the magician. He's the magician. If we're seeing a trick play out and you don't see the magician, you better ask, where is he? Because he's a part of every scene and he's blatantly told us that. I really feel like this flashback for Bernard 
really revealed so many times for us, like it pulled back the curtain on that video conference and said like, oh, there he is. You know, it showed that conversation with Ford trying to figure out what the hell Maeve was doing. And it's like, pull back the curtain. Wait, look at Ford's face. Wait, he's trying to push me away from asking questions. Oh, crap. There's the magician. It's like they showed it over and over. I really appreciated how much he seemed to push Ford to say, I really want to see my original memories. I don't know if too much trust was placed in Ford in that moment because I can't understand why Bernie would think that he would ever see the true memories, especially by force of Ford. He, Bernie, asked Ford, show me the memory, but instead he keeps showing him his cornerstone. Until that third trip when Bernie had been under enough and he had picked up enough of how to control what he does when he's living through his memories that he was able to kind of hit pause on the son death scene, rewind. (laughs) And even say, wake back up, son. Yes. It's like, you know, he was able to actually, like you say, gain the upper hand in his own memories on some of them at least and be able to say you know, no, wait, everybody clear out of here. Okay, you wake up. Okay, now you explain to me what's going on. Like the whole thing. And you're right. It was like it unlocked the true underlying memory. Here's the thing. And I very much appreciate what you're saying about the true underlying memory. But here's the deal. I just don't think that we saw the true first memories at all. Despite the fact that Ford showed him something of his awakening I still say if he is capable of making Teddy think that he was in a soldier outfit when in reality he was in a sheriff's outfit, some part of me says he would be able to make it look like it was him standing there when it was really Arnold standing there, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I really think that there is enough room that they've given us to say you should question every memory. If you just are taking it at face value, like you're just looking at it as him talking to his video conference wife, then you're missing the blip that we're showing you. And so again, if you're looking at that memory of him waking up to Ford standing over him and the whole glasses scene, and you're not asking, where's the magician? Why would he suddenly show a straightforward memory to Bernard when he just proved to us that every other one had been manipulated? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. It would be so inconsistent to suddenly say, oh, but except for that very first one, then Ford came totally clean and showed him a very honest memory. Just don't think it's possible. It doesn't make any sense. And I think that Ford has enough to gain by being manipulative of the memories and never showing him the truth. He has so much to gain by that rather than Bernie ever truly embracing his story because they've proven that their memories do crop back up. And no matter how many times he tries to like erase Bernie, the chances of him remembering one of these original things are way too high for him to show the truth. Case in point is that last episode, he said, I'm erasing Cullen and just giving you a sense of being professional workmates. And then one of the memories is being in bed with Cullen. Clearly, we just can't take anything that Ford says or does at face value. There's always going to be some twist on it. Again, if you don't see the twist, then just applaud the magician that much harder because the twist has just been hidden that well from you. I know I wasn't making the most original prediction, but my twist on Bernie being a an Arnold reproduction was just that Ford took the parts that he liked about (laughs) Arnold, made them into Bernie, 
and then just ratcheted down things like ambition and that kind of stuff. Ford told Bernard that I made you into the ideal partner. And to me, that is what that meant. I agree with you. Only I'm just going to say that that's taking exactly what he said at face value. I know that he showed him the picture again. And I know that there was then a picture of Arnold, but it could have been Bernard. I mean, I know that there's this idea that like, okay, we saw the picture and he's telling us that that's Arnold. Therefore, we for sure got Arnold. I don't know that. I don't know that. You know, anything out of Ford's mouth just seems like if you don't question it, you're really missing the boat. That scene again where whomever that is, the body of who we know as Bernard comes down the stairs and talks to Dolores, that whole conversation still like bugs me because I get it that they're saying, remember why, you know, I can't wake up and stuff. And, and we're supposed to be looking at that like, okay, this is completely Arnold now. I'm having such a hard time about whether or not this is just another manipulation. But how? I mean, that's Dolores's vision there. The way that they said that they wiped Arnold from the system and everything, I just have this gnawing feeling that we still haven't seen the truth of where Arnold really is and what his physical form necessarily looked like. I think it's an interesting idea that he would have made him look exactly like Arnold. I mean, he says, good to see you again uh, when he wakes up. Why would he say that? I don't know. He's a funky dude. So I'm not sure. I'm just reserving a little bit of judgment. Are we going to see that picture change again? Is there going to be anything about this that changes again? I know he keeps saying stuff like, you know, Arnold had a tragic situation in his life. So maybe that's exactly why they implanted the child lost memory with Bernard. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm trying to like go slow and really pay attention to what we really saw happen and who we think is doing what without interjecting too much of being like, but it's obvious. If it's obvious, then slow your roll because there's <laughs> nothing about the Nolan brothers that we have seen where whatever they show you at face value is actually the truth. Correct? Yeah. Not the first time you see it. No. Certainly not. I mean, we just watched Memento and if you guys haven't seen it, please go out and watch it because it's absolutely worth it. And if you watch it from the standpoint of like, oh, Jesus, bring back whatever kernel of information that you get from by the end of it and bring it back to Westworld. And you've got to say, y'all, you've got to question what you are looking at and whether or not you're being manipulated by the narrative, just like Maeve and Ford and Bernie manipulate all the hosts via narrative. Am I being manipulated by the narrative to think something about this? That if I just watched what was happening and paid attention to the actual details, I wouldn't believe this. But it's just because Ford told me it was true or basically he's the main one. That if, if Ford narrates it to you and says, this is the way it's always been and this is the way I did it, then shoot, he's not reliable in my mind. I don't know if he's reliable to you. Do you take anything of what he says at face value? No, I take what he says to be partially true. Everything is partially true. It's like truthish. Truthy. Truthy, if you will. Yeah. And that's hard because then if you have an unreliable narrator and he fancies himself the king of narration, then schnarg, everything we're looking at is really through his interpretation of what's happening. I kind of think that's why he's so bothered by the man in black. 
the man in black isn't easily influenced. And he's told him to his face he's not interested in any of the stories. Yeah, and he right, and he even told that to Charlotte in this one too, where he was like, I'm not interested in any of Ford's narrations. So if you think about it in those terms, then oh my God, who's like the biggest freaking thorn in your side? It's the guy who won't buy into any of your freaking stories and is going off on whatever type of root stories still exist in this park. That would be a really annoying guy to have right. around, right? Especially yeah. For Ford, really annoying. But Bernie's story, oh my gosh, he does remember everything about Elsie. And I know that the rule for this, especially this show, is if we don't see a body, she may not be dead. I can't imagine how that scene would fall out any other way than her being dead because he gets that glazy look in his eye. But I, we didn't see a dead body, so I'm not sure if, if it's really... Do you think she's gone? I don't, because I haven't seen the body. But this has given me pause to wonder if Ford saw this little mutiny coming, let's just say. So he gets his 3D printer rolling again, and it's not a new Cullen. It's not a new Elsie. It's a new Bernard. Oh, dang. You think so? Well, he had the plans on the table there. Wow, that's a really good suggestion because at some point, how many times can you do this? And that was also a big shocking reveal there that they had actually gone through this song and dance of Bernard getting close to some concept of who he really was and how this place really worked. And they'd actually gone there and then Ford rolls him back. For whatever reason, I really hooked onto the part where Bernard said, why do you let me do this? Like, why do you let me get to the part where you show me all the memories and I have all these realizations and then you take it all away? Like, why don't you just, as soon as I start asking questions, why don't you just shut it down, you know, and roll me back from that point? And I really appreciated how much he was saying, because I just want to give you like free choice. I want you to be able to look and listen to all the facts and say, you know what? I do want to follow your lead. That kind of stuff wigs me out because that's such a mirror situation to Maeve. And everything that Maeve's saying, that makes me worry how much that Ford knows. It's kind of like that moment when he said, this requires a blood sacrifice. And you're like, he heard that conversation. Maeve just said to Hector, I want you to follow me on your own. I don't want to force you, blah, blah. And then how many scenes later and Ford saying, well, because I wanted you to follow me on your own. I didn't want to force you. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, they're saying the exact same words. How much does Ford realize Maeve is up to? How much did he program her to do something? What if she's programmed to actually do this kind of crap? Who knows? I, I don't think she is. I think she's... I know you don't think he, that we're not supposed to think she is. We're not supposed to think that this is her loop. We're not supposed to think that they could ever get anybody out of their loops. I know. I know. But yet it's happening. Do you honestly think that Ford is so ignorant to what is happening in the park? You really think that someone could fly under the radar this cleanly that Maeve has been with nothing? Especially because you just showed the example. Why do you let me get so far and then roll me back? Why? Ford gets some jollies out of that. He does. So why not stop Maeve in her tracks? Why not pull her right out? Well, he just told you. I kind of like it. I kind of like you to push it to the furthest you're going to go because I kind of like yanking you back. It's kind of my shtick. It's like kind of the best way to feel your godness, right? Is to have that moment where you're like, yoink. Right. Needing to do godlike things. You've seen little kids do that. Why didn't you just keep that toy up in your room? Well, I like to bring it down here. When someone else tries to grab it, I go yoink and I take it in the room. Why? Because I like that power. I like the control. 
of the yoink moment. I like it. So I think there's something there about Ford that's like even that much more gross that he really enjoys letting them get further than any of us think a sort of controller would want them to get. You'd think he'd want to keep a way tighter cap on everything, but he kind of doesn't because I think he really likes to yank you back. Interesting. So again, to that point, here's Clem holding a gun this entire time making Bernie feel all safe and like he really has this safeguard when all along Ford had the voice command to shut her down. Yeah. The second she came in the room and pointed the gun, he could have been like, stop it, put it away. And she would have put her put her hands down and it would have been over. But he wanted Bernie. Why does he let her play it out? He wanted Bernie to make the decision on his own. And he wanted Bernie to actually buy in that he had some amount of control. Because there's nothing worse than Bernie feeling the yank of the, you never had control of the situation. I could always turn Clem off. That's like knife in the heart, right? Yeah. If he shut it down right at the beginning, Bernie just feels like despair. But now he has this false sense that he was actually making progress. And ouch, how bad it hurts to get that yanked. That's when he uses that amazing line, the piano doesn't murder the player if he doesn't like the tune. Ooh, that's as good as the, everyone thinks it's magic, but the magician. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. You are just a machine. You are just a machine being played. That's it. And you're always going to be played. And like, what an awful feeling that you just have no control over what they play on you. You don't even get a like or dislike. It doesn't matter. You don't care. We're just using you. The last question would be, do you think Bernie's actually dead? I think that the way that they shot that... He does hit the floor and that it is a pretty like amazing kind of situation. However, we didn't see any blood. We didn't see a body. We heard an explosion and we saw a shadow fall down. But I think that that left the door wide open that, I mean, he could have just shot in the air and fell down to the ground and not hit his own head at all. Even though there's these backdoor codes and all this kind of stuff, Bernard said he hacked certain parts of the code and he did see his own master code which kind of makes me think if he scoured his master code how would he have not seen there was a back door how would he have not seen some amount of code that would like alert him that ford could still control him i don't know anything about code i mean is backdoor code like hidden from the master code in a way that you wouldn't see it it's something that isn't obvious to everybody that looks at it. How about that? But don't you think Bernie, of all people, if he's the one who actually taught Ford how to use a backdoor code, would know to look for that? Even if you could see it, you might not have been able to do anything about it. What if this was like a double down situation? Ford says, I'm going to roll you back. And the reason why I let you get this far is because I wanted you to make the choice to come follow me. What if this is a double down? What if Bernie says... I went through with shooting the gun into the air and yelling Robert to you because I wanted you to make the choice to not do this to me. But in reality, he was in control of the gun the whole time. Like he knew he wasn't going to shoot himself. But it's like that moment of I was giving you the opportunity, Robert, to be, quote unquote, a human and not try to command me to kill myself. And so that's like doubling down on this idea of I want you to find it in your own heart to do this for me. It's the exact same thing Ford just said to him. What if Bernie is actually like Robot Jesus? What? And What's Robot Jesus? Well, 
we've seen the preview, so we know that somehow Maeve and a following happen in cold storage. Okay. They come across Bernie's dead body, and those first generation- You're saying let's say they do? Yeah. Okay. Those first generation hosts, like Maeve, have been hearing Arnold voices, and but seeing Arnold's face dead on the floor might be like- Like a trigger? Yeah. They might have woken up and, and been like, well, we might as well, you know, follow Maeve since she knows what she's doing. But then all of a sudden they have this cause, you know, that's like, wait a second. They killed, <laughs> they Arnold. killed our creator. So grab the pitchforks. Interesting. Okay. So you feel like it would help rally the cause if he was truly dead? Do you think there's any chance, given that where they are and that they're down there where that table is and all that stuff, that... Maeve, who's got all this information or could give any information to any of the other hosts and try to fix him. Well, and she has leverage on some butchers. Somehow get Felix and Sylvester down there to fix him without mm. Ford knowing. But I mean, of course, Ford's going to need to see a body eventually. I mean, I recognize that he has that a he's... problem of walking away from murder victims. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't he? Doesn't he? I agree with that wholeheartedly. I don't know. I think that's a really interesting idea for the finale. And I really feel like... I want to know how far do you think we're going to get in getting answers for the finale? I do feel like Maeve is going to get her army, but how far is it going to get? Is it just going to get to be the point where basically Maeve and Hector get down into cold storage? Maybe Bernie's still down there because the fire happened. Bernie's happening kind of simultaneously. Who knows? It might just be an hour or two before their bodies get. I mean, they have to take them away because who knows who else comes out in the park? They can't leave half burned up hosts out there where anybody could see them, right? They've got to like keep the integrity of the park. So it can't be long before they get pulled down to cold storage. In that case, are we going to be left like on the cliffhanger of basically Maeve opening her eyes in cold storage and us realizing like, oh my God, she's awake. Or is she going to get to the point of waking up other hosts? Are they going to sort of be like in a team huddle when we leave? Or are they actually going to start enacting some sort of plan before the episode's over? 90 minutes, a lot can happen. We still have an awful lot of questions, though. Man in Black, Logan, what's the 30-year incident? Is Dolores Wyatt? Is that who actually, you know, the, was the overlay Wyatt and really that was Dolores doing the killing of the general, a.k.a. Arnold? There are a lot of questions that are season questions, and then there's a few questions that are show questions, like what is Ford actually up to is kind of a show question i agree with you you. and i do think that there's a fair shot that whatever the new narrative is we're not going to be completely told what that is i mean now some part of it could simply be like i said what if his new narrative is a robot uprising and again he knew what Maeve was doing the entire time and he kept saying it's quite original it's quite original So who knows? Maybe that is his whole thing. It's mental. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) It's some weird, weird business. But at the same time, I don't know. I mean, who says I want to go to Robot Uprising Island for their (laughs) right? Let's come on vacation. I want to pay forty k a day to see robots wig out all (laughs) over the place. Right. I don't know. But at the same time, how much do we think Ford's losing his ever loving mind here? He certainly freaking full of himself and thinks he can control everything in my experience people who think that way overlook obvious situations that end up smacking them right in the face because they just think they're so invincible 
that it'll be something very small that does them in. You Total know? Death Star Luke Skywalker situation. There you go. That's an exactly perfect reference there. Yes, and everyone listening to this knows exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. Nerd powers. For sure. So, okay, anything else that happened between the Ford Bernie exchange that makes us feel like we have any better idea of what's going to happen. I really like the idea that Bernard is not dead. And I don't know if the other hosts are going to rally to help him. Or again, if he just shot in the air and he didn't really kill himself, but he just kind of crumpled to the ground. And I don't know, that like just looks good enough. There's my exact example, actually. Let me just say that again. The most simple of situations is what's going to be to do him in. Walking out of that room with the instructions to kill yourself and not actually going back to see that Bernard was dead, that's the kind of arrogant crap that comes and bites you in the ass, right? Because you didn't go back to make sure he actually did it. You just think you're so great that, psh, of course, it's done. That's the exact type of situation that's like, wah, wah. I'm just going to say, this is not a spoiler because it's happened six years ago. Okay. Oh, oh my God, what? But Game of Thrones killed Ned in episode number nine. He was the main character, you know? Oh, he was the guy so... on the poster. He's the guy on the book. He's your favorite character, and he is dead by episode nine. Whoa. So you think nine is frown face time? Yes. Crap, I don't want Bernard to be gone. I don't see how he is not going to be a part of something having to do with Maeve. I just think she's so has all this new information inside of her that I just cannot come up with a scenario in which she doesn't have some way to help him. That Arnold layer that is part of Bernie or Bernie is part of that. I felt like it got sold pretty short this episode because Dolores went on a pretty amazing adventure of discovery and self-discovery to just get there and be told, yeah, I can't help you. Mm. what that's what i'm talking about though that like is that how that actually went down like are we somehow still just getting a couple of pieces of the pie and it's just not enough for us to make like a true decision of what happened dolores's little section was so muddled for me i think it's going to take more information for me to tease out what in the heck did we just see well because she herself is hallucinating you know so, at least confusing the memories in some way or another. Yes. There's at least some amount. And, and they said that point blank. They said, Bernard, if you go back and you try to remember things, you could lose your mind. You can get lost in your memories. And I think that in real time, we're seeing that play out with Dolores as well. And we can't know which part is she kind of, like you said, hallucinating, but also sort of just like losing grip. Like, I mean, she said straight out, where are we? When are we? She's, she's losing her sense of where the hell things have happened. So again, like taking her memories at face value and saying, well, it was Arnold then and blah, 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 feels like too simple, you know, and too straightforward for somebody who's been so confused this whole time. Hopefully next week we get the answers. I really hope so. So I'm going on record to say, I kind of think Stubbs is still, a, I think he's a host. I think there's a fair shot he's a host. I think Maeve is going to at least gather her army, but I don't know how far they're going to get. William, I do think, is the man in black. And I do think his snap moment was having Dolores' belly cut open. I think Logan's going to die in the park. And I think that his death is going to be ruled an accident, but 
that that is the incident that makes Juliet forever suspicious and this whole living in terror and everything that she is always going to wonder if William had anything to do with Logan's death. Teddy is still kind of out there for me in terms of like if he comes back and then he's going to be ready to join Wyatt's crew. The only thing that's interesting about that to me is that then we get to maybe see the inner workings of Wyatt's crew. We get to understand why do they dress the way they do? Why are they not affected by the bullets and that type of thing? Man in Black for me, the way that his hands are covered and his neck is covered and stuff, I'm still feeling like maybe there's going to be some robot hands under there. Maybe there's going to be something there. And my guess is that maybe the way that his foundation saves people's lives out in the world, maybe he is some sort of amputee type replacement of parts using Westworld technology. Mm-hmm. So maybe when he bought in and he paid, he was like, fine, but then I'm going to start this foundation and we're going to like replace legs and we're going to replace eyes and we're going to do stuff like that, which would make a lot of sense to the idea that like disease is sort of abolished, if you will, or, or everything's cured because if you could get replacement parts, you could keep going forever, right? Mm-hmm. Dolores, I think, is actually Wyatt. I think when we pull back the layer, I think that it's been really a good trick on us to feel like, well, Wyatt's a man and Dolores is a woman, so therefore she can't be Wyatt. It reminds me of that old joke where you say a father and a son get into a car accident and they come to the hospital and the surgeon says, I can't work on this child because it's my son. And everyone says, how could that be? And you overlook the part, well, the surgeon's his mother. And that whole joke of that is sort of like your own personal prejudices about who can be what that Dolores the woman could be the killer and could actually be in the place of Wyatt is like no that's too confusing that's too hard it should be this villainous man what if it's this blonde lady and Ford even alludes to that he says if you were the main character of this story would you be the hero or would you be the villain so he kind of alludes to that like are you even considering that she could be the villain And old Bernard, oy, I think we're going to see him back in action. I think that he is going to come back. I really hope he comes back. But I kind of think that the hosts are going to be the people who bring him back and not Ford necessarily. I liked your ideas about William and Logan. I don't see Logan making it out of the park alive. I just don't think he has a chance. No reason really to keep him alive. If his purpose was to break William out of his white hat shell, then he did it. You're right. He totally, and he snapped him. The Dolores Logan dynamic broke his brain. Teddy, they showed us on the train in next week's preview. And they even show us him shooting that big bully guy that bumps into your shoulder when you get off the train. So you think that's proof positive that like, like Angela said, he just needed to die again to get that much more evil? I think so. And... I agree with you that Dolores is too close to call, as they say in the election. Well, her story is so convoluted that to try to put her puzzle pieces into the puzzle right now, it's too complicated. Like, it's like the the sides of your puzzle piece don't stay in the form that they came in. So you go to try to put it in the puzzle and it like blobs out on you and you're like, fart, this doesn't fit in the puzzle again because her memories are just so flawed. This puzzle travels in time. So that piece was there. And it's it's unreliable. Like Teddy has shown us how clear, as have Bernie, that if you try to look at these false memories and then try to take them as gospel, you are foolish. And to be honest, like as audience members, there's no way that we could have known that Teddy was having a false memory about Wyatt. Until Angela makes him go back through the story, there were no clues as far as I'm concerned. 
there's no reason why we should have known that he was completely confused or confusing about who he was shooting. I don't think there's any way we could know. Maybe I would be so silly and we would go back and we would look at, from Dolores' point of view, maybe we could make out that it was Teddy in some form or fashion, but I don't think that they're shooting it that way. I like my robot Jesus theory. So as outlandish as it sounds, I think I'm going to just stick with that just in case I'm right. Can you clarify for me? So if he is the Jesus, then he's basically died for the sins of somebody and somehow he's going to rise from the dead or he is their motivator? He could. What is the, what is your... I'm going for more of the martyr angle. Okay, okay. The rising part may come later. Like maybe um, season two? Yeah, because he is software to a certain extent, you know? So rising again is not out of the realm of possibility. Certainly Bernie 2.0. Right. In season 2.0. Killer B. <laughs> Killer B. Love it. Love it. Well, I can't wait for episode 10. My brother Adam is going to come back in on the scene and give, him, give us some of his POV as uh, he has been missing our last couple of episodes. So we look forward to that. Thanks, you guys, for listening. Thanks. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. Facebook or Twitter or wherever you find us. Please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.